They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb about the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. I asked my son some time ago what he truly loved. And I'm not talking about loving family. That's easy. That's what I like to call in a lot of ways default love or conditioned love. Like I'm supposed to love these people because they take care of me. I get that part. But what outside of that? What thing? What aspiration? What is the the thing that tells you you love something? I don't know what the impetus is. I don't know what creates that spark. There's always something. To talk about me and music, I could talk about the first time I was able to discern different instruments in a song or being a nerd laying in the house in July watching PBS in a documentary on Louis Armstrong, Blessed Dead, who had just passed. And they talked about how he was the father of American music. And I'm like, I want to do that. And for years I did. And I always think about going back to playing the trumpet again because I was good at it. I really loved it. In less than a year, this great teacher I had, Mr. DeSantis, I know I've told this story before, I'm sure. But forget about me. I want to know what you love. I realize how difficult this is to discover. And love is one of the most elusive commodities on the planet. It's hard to corral that, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. But I started thinking about my grandmother, my dear old Gramps, Blessed Dead, and how she talked about time. Time is probably the most expensive commodity because we can't afford to waste it. And she once said to me, because she used to always have these little sayings that at the time didn't make sense to me then, makes sense to me now. She said, if your life were a nickel, how would you spend it? Today is a limited time offer. What are you going to do with it? Barbecue or mildew? She didn't say that. That's some pep talk, but that's all another conversation. And speaking of another conversation, we also welcome you to the podcast where basketball and life are one. It is the open run with Will Strickland, that would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at One Neighborhood. One Neighborhood, coming to a neighborhood near you soon. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland and the number one on IG, and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found, but right now exclusively at anchor.fm, a Spotify podcast network. I don't know what spare time means based on what I just told you, but when I was younger, I still read a lot, but I was more of a voracious reader when I was a kid, and we had to read all the quote-unquote classics, well, those are Western classics now that I know, and something, as we move toward the holiday season, I always think about Charles Dickens and his books, and right now I'm thinking about A a Tale of Two Cities, because it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. Dot, dot, dot. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. Now, I know the NBA season is 82 games long, and we can overreact after eight or nine games. Oh, Steph's the MVP of the league. But they can't win. 
And right now, the Warriors are one of those teams that you still fear because of Wardell, Stephen Curry II. But guys like Clay Alexander Thompson want a new deal. He's not playing up to the capabilities that we've known him to play. He's getting older. The Warriors held out. Didn't want to pay him. Could be some movement in the Bay at some point soon. But right now, it is what it is. We do overreact early. The long season. A lot of time left. Things can change. But when I say the best of times and the worst of times, in the tale of two cities, we will insert Los Angeles and the city of brotherly shoves and love, Philadelphia. Because James Edward Harden Jr. is the fulcrum of this entire conversation. The super team, or at least people don't want to call them that. Oh, these guys are old. Uh, okay, they're not old yet. Russell Westbrook is still giving you almost a triple-double every night. They're not old yet. Kawhi Anthony Leonard, Paul George, they're not old yet. James Harden led the lead in assists last year. But they're not a super team. We know why you don't want to call them a super team. It's okay. But there's a glitch in the system as the New York Knickerbockers defeated the Clippers in the debut of the system. As a matter of fact, the system has not been working. 0-4 in the first four games since the trade from Philadelphia to Los Angeles' hometown. The team is a plus 24 without James Edward Harden Jr. on the court and a minus 67 with him on the court. Who was the issue? Ty Lue still figuring out lineups, saying that he's being a little too unselfish, needs to be a little bit greedier. Paul George said that the other night, committed seven turnovers, they still lost. So he led them in points. He also led them in turnovers, and he helped to lead them to a loss. No one knows their role because their roles are to be the guy, the ball-dominant guy. I talked to Warren Ward about pecking order, and I found out about this on Jeopardy last week, how pecking order came to be. And it really is about who is the cock of the roost. Can I say that on air? I guess I just did. That's neither here nor there. The bottom line is, when you think about super teams and how they figured out how to come together, where do they start? I know a lot of you like to say, the hashtag started it. Okay, let's learn a little something about basketball and less about your emotions. Because facts give a fuck about your feelings, as I said before. In this world, facts only have realizers or deniers. Which one are you? The history of this thing started in the 60s when the Lakers traded for Wilton Norman Chamberlain. He wasn't old. He's still in his physical prime. Elgin Baylor might have been called old. But he played with Jerry West for his whole career. Jerry West wasn't old. These guys were in their prime. They had all of the talent in the world. They had three future Hall of Famers. They had the man who defined the air up there in the NBA, in Elgin Gay Baylor. They had Wilton Norman Chamberlain, the most destructive force in NBA history. He had the logo. Score, pass, could do everything, and shoot, of course. But if they had three-pointers back then, we might not even be talking about Wardell, Stephen Curry, and those guys as three-point destroyers. Because Jerry West was something else without it. The only man to ever win MVP of the NBA Finals on the losing squad. That's how good he was. And yet they couldn't win anything together. Baylor had to retire. What was at the end of his career? West was at the end of his career before they won together in 1972. So what's to say the Clippers can't do that? I mean, the Clippers have never been in the NBA Finals, so we don't have any empirical data to compare. But maybe we can utilize the experience of Kawhi Anthony Leonard. Playing on a better team, though. Well, those guys stars, don't they just understood their roles? Maybe Wilt and Baylor and Wes didn't understand their roles. Everybody wanted to be the guy. And that's what's happening, as it seems, there in Los Angeles with the Clippers. 
you can say what you want to say about the 1983 Philadelphia 76ers. Former MVP Julius Winfield Irving II. He was in his late mid-30s. No, he was 33. So he's right at the end of his physical prime, but he was still Dr. J. You bring in the oldest 28-year-old in the history of mankind, and Moses Eugene Malone, blessed dead, a three-time MVP after that season, most disrespected MVP in NBA history, for sure. They go on to win the title, and how many Hall of Famers do they have in that squad? They have four Hall of Famers in that squad, as a matter of fact. Doc Moses, Bobby Jones, and of course, Maurice Cheeks. Super team. We can talk about the 2004 Los Angeles Lakers with Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal, Carl Anthony Malone, Gary Payton. I don't know what Gary Payton's middle name is. And the late, great Kobe Bean Bryant. Got cooked in the second greatest finals upset in NBA history. Yeah. By the Pistons, a better team. I'm not even going to talk about the 2011 Miami Heat. Doesn't make sense. I think my point has been made. It doesn't matter if your team can't play together. And it might seem that somebody's set out to destroy the possibilities of success being found, but a better team in Philadelphia. They understand their pecking order. It is the MVP, Joel Hans and Beat. It is the young man who got the keys of the car this year under Nick Nurse, Tyrese Maxey, who just dropped a 50-burger against Indiana, his first 50 points, seven rebounds, five assists, and three block shots. In that same game, Joel Hans and Beat, 37-13-7. They're on an eight-game losing strike for a reason. Better team. Those parts they brought over from L.A., fit better. Robert Covington, who, who got his name in Philadelphia. Nicholas Batum, those guys, they play their roles. They may be more effective, they're younger for sure, than Anthony Leon Tucker Jr. And they bring a savvy to that team that they didn't have, a grit to that team they didn't have. And Nick Nurks is employing them the way they should. There are memes going around that Adam Silver has uh, put out a hit on Kelly Oubre. Not cool, but Kelly Oubre was injured as he was walking toward his apartment in Center City, Philadelphia by a hit and run driver. The side view mirror hit him in the ribs. He had a fractured rib. There is no timetable for his return. He was released from the hospital that same night. And that's crazy because he's been playing great and actually playing defense for the first time in his career, from what I can tell. I guess he's tired of moving around. I guess he's matured to the point where he says, I need to find a home. I need to find what my role is. I try to be a scorer. I try to be that guy. I'm never going to be that guy. Let me be one of the guys in the pecking order there in Philadelphia. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, and hopefully Kelly Oubre is better soon. Hopefully the Clippers and Ty Lue figure it out soon in L.A. because I like to see some competition out of those guys. And I want to shout out Jameer Nelson, one of Philly's finest for sure, went to St. Joe's, had a great run in the NCAA tournament with Delonte West, is now the general manager of the Philadelphia G League affiliate, the Delaware Bluecoats. So salute to him. I still feel like they made a mistake by bringing Jameer Nelson back in the 2009 NBA Finals to play against the Los Angeles Lakers. But there's no mistaking what's coming up next on the open run with Will Strickland. So stay close, come back soon, and we'll tell you more on the other side of this. Back to the more what you asked for. It's the open run with Will Strickland in conversation with you, the listener, and myself, because it's scriptory. It's therapeutic. Okay. College basketball season is back, and I, you know, I have to be honest. 
I'm more excited about the women's game than I am the men's game. That shouldn't be a surprise at all because I'm a big fan of basketball, period. And if you can hoop, you can hoop. As we say here at the hashtag Hoopers Hoop, that's all we do. But I'm going to talk about the men first, 100%. Shouts out to young Bronny James, who is, uh, or should I call him Bean? He who shan't be named. Some understand. At any rate, it is noted that he should be back soon, as noted by his father, I guess, post-game conference, that his son will be back soon playing for the USC Trojans once he's cleared physically to play the game after a serious cardiac event, but he seemed to be recovering well. During a recent interview, he was asked who his favorite player of all time was, and he was very quiet. He smiled at the camera, which should have told you the answer in the first place. And he goes, I think it's a big classic if he just said the hashtag he shan't be named. Like, what is he supposed to say? But then again, there have been a lot of players whose children have said someone else was their favorite player, so it could have been, but it ain't hard to tell. You know what ain't hard to tell? How Teflon Bill Self still keeps getting away with it. Robo Tomasi, for those who remember the movie L.A. Confidential, he was the one who got away with it, and Bill Self continues to get away with it. He got a lifetime contract in the house that Dean Smith built. Yeah, he was a student there under Fog Allen, who the field house is named after in Lawrence, Kansas. So, Bill Self, a lifetime contract with the University of Kansas. I guess he has a lifetime contract with Adidas as well. Because they are fueling his dreams 100% as they are the number one team in the country. For now, as we move on, look at other teams that started out the season. An opening season lost at home for the Michigan State Spartans. Two of all teams, James Madison University. Unranked as Michigan State is number four. And what makes it hurt even more is that one of the assistants for James Madison, Matt Buckland, a.k.a. Tom Izzo's nephew, his sister Mary's son. So I can imagine Thanksgiving dinner might get a little testy around the Izzo house. But I'm sure he's happy for his nephew and their team winning. Not so happy about his team losing. Those practices are going to be crazy at Michigan State. Trust me. And with that loss, be sure that Michigan State University will fall in the rankings as a matter of fact. As I talked about Teflon Bill, the number one team in the country, the Kansas Jayhawks with... I want to call him a traitor, but I can't. Hunter Dickinson, formerly of the University of Michigan, comes right in. No problem adjusting this basketball, no matter what gym you play in. It seems, and right now averaging 20 points and 8 rebounds, and easy wins for the Jayhawks. They are the number one team in the country, and probably going to stay that way for the time being. Number two, the Purdue Boilermakers, great in regular season. Come tournament time, I'm talking about NCAA tournament, not so great. The number two team in the country, the Purdue Boilermakers. And number three, the Arizona Wildcats. And we'll get to them in a second. They jumped up from their preseason ranking of 12 and now number three in the country after a big win at Cameron Indoor Stadium in Durham, North Carolina. And number four, Yukon Huskies, the reigning and defending national champion Yukon Huskies. And number five, the University of Tennessee Volunteers don't trust Rick Barnes ever. But here he is, number five. Great. Maybe they have a better offense because last year they were defensively stout. Offensively, horrid. What's that horrid? Is the matchup between the, as I said before, the preseason ranked number 12 team in the country, the Arizona Wildcats, who have the sweetest Serena Inescu makeup. Their customs for that team, both teams, are stupid. I need to get a pair of those. Love them. And the number two, Duke Blue Devils. And the central character in this sordid tale is one Caleb Love, a guy who was going to go, 
should I call him a traitor too? After he transferred from the University of North Carolina, he's going to go to Michigan. Committed, opted out, ended up going to Arizona. Better weather, more money, who knows? I don't know. But Caleb Love was a big reason for all of the hate and the vitriol that was spewing at University of Arizona Wildcats because I don't remember them ever going to the Cameron Indoor Stadium having any beef, but Caleb Love played at the University of North Carolina up Tobacco Road a little bit in Chapel Hill. And he was a key figure in destroying the final home game of Coach K at Cameron Indoor. Then in the NCAA tournament, who does him in for his final game? You guessed it, Caleb Love. And Caleb Love does Duke again in Cameron. They're calling him all kinds of names, talking crazy to him. He's waving them bye-bye, talking back to them crazy as well. At the end, of course, as Arizona defeated Duke 78-73. Hence their jump in the standings. But ain't no love in the heart of the city. But there's a lot of love when we talk about the ladies. Go ladies! On the other side of this, on the open run with Will Strickland. You're now listening to the sounds of the open run with Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic to the speaker in conversation with you, the listener, and with myself, because it is sadotic. No doubt, the ladies, as the NCAA season starts for them as well, shout out to Miara O'Neill, the youngest child of the Hall of Famer, Dr. Shaquille Rashad O'Neill, was selecting what university she wanted to go to. Everyone thought she would go to LSU, where her dad went. But she chose another SEC foe, them Gators, down there in Gainesville. So salute to Miara for her striking out on her own and creating her own legacy at another school. So salute to her and salute to Shaq, of course. And we talk about name value. I think there's so much more name value on the women's side of the game than there is the men's side of the game right now. And we see that. You know, you see teams like FSU, you know, and they played well in the NCAA tournament. And also the University of Tennessee, the history with Pat Summit. And of course, everyone from Shamiqua Holdsclaw to Candace Parker and so many more in between there. Of course, there's a big, huge cheer for Brittany Griner, who was there playing the exhibition games. But we saw the number 18 Florida State Seminoles defeat the University of Tennessee Volunteers on their home floor in a week of upsets on the women's side as well. As we saw, number 20, Colorado, a very experienced bunch. They weren't ranked number 20 for no reason against the number one team in the country, rebuilding without Alexis Morris at the point and bringing in University of Louisville transfer. Haley Van Lift ran the point for them. They lost. Number one ranked team preseason, of course, the reigning defending NCAA champions. But all the shade went right away to Angel Reese. Wonder why. You got to talk it. So if she talks it, she got to walk it too. She didn't have the greatest game. She didn't have a terrible game, but they lost. It, and then it became all about her relationships off the court and what she was doing this summer. Did she work out enough? Wow. These online assessments are the best. But I understand the shade. It's more hate than it is a real assessment of what she did or didn't do in the off season. Or I guess she's laying in the bed with her boyfriend too much. Huh? Whatever. People are silly. These are kids. Remember that. But the unranked kids at North Carolina State, led by Sonia Rivers... A transfer from the University of South Carolina, it has to be something serious for you to transfer from that school because Coach Dawn makes sure her girls eat and do well. But yes, she wanted more playing time. She's doing her thing in her second season there in Raleigh, North Carolina, playing for the Wolfpack as they defeated the number two at the time, ranked UConn Huskies. 
Rivers gave you 33. She barbecued Paige Beckers, AZ Fudge, she's blocking shots of Aaliyah Edwards. She was doing everything on the court. 33 points speaks to that in a big upset of the Yukon Huskies for the Wolfpack of North Carolina State. The Huskies of Yukon fall out of the top five as a result of this loss. Let's see who is at the top of the Power Five this week for the women's side of the NCAA at number one, Dawn Staley's University of South Carolina Gamecocks at number two, the Iowa Hawkeyes at number three, UCLA Bruins. Don't be surprised. Lauren Betts is doing her thing out there. At number four, the Utah Utes. I talked about Alyssa Peely being the Pac-12 Player of the Year, continuing where she left off. And of course, at number five, not a great precipitous drop, but of course, a necessary one, the reigning defending NCAA champion, LSU Tigers, at number five for our Power Five this week on the women's side of the NCAA. And there's good reason for all of this movement. Number one, obviously, because of Malaysia Fawali. Remember that name, Malaysia. Uh, if you want to find her on these rough interweb streets, it's Lay with the Butter. And I'm talking about her game is butter like that for sure. Had one of the best plays the early season, male or female, killing them down there. And the balance attack that Coach Dawn has going on in Columbia, South Carolina, makes them prime for another championship run. But you look at the best player in college basketball, could be argued male or female as well. Caitlin Clark dropped 44 in Virginia Tech this past week and also collected her 12th triple-double for the most in NCAA history, male or female, and also tying Sabrina Inescu for having won each and every one of her seasons in college basketball. 24-10 and 11 against, I think they played Northern Iowa or something. So cupcaking right now, but she's now the all-time leading scorer in Iowa basketball history, 2,813 points. Salute to Caitlin Clark. And shout out to another freshman, Juju Watkins, the incoming number one freshman in the country. 32-6-5 and five in her debut in a big win for the number 21, the other USC, according to some people in women's college basketball. The University of Southern California defeating the number seven, then seven ranked Ohio State University Buckeyes. And in that win, I want to shout out Aaliyah Gales, who appeared in that game after 574 days away from the game because she was shot 18 times at a house party in 2022 in Los Angeles to come back, survive all of that. Most of the shots were in her legs and still be competitive and want to play this game and a win over Florida Gulf Coast. That is love. Has she found her passion or her purpose? I'm sure that when she stops playing this game, She'll be one who talks about that experience time and time again because it's not how she started. It's how she's going to finish. And we finish strong up here on the open run with Will Strickland. So come back for more on the other side. Yeah, you know the rest. Open run with Will Strickland. Want to thank you all for hanging out and being a part of the experience that is the open run. And with that being said, it is now time for the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. Shouts out to Adam Silver and the entire Golden State Warriors franchise for bringing the 2025 NBA All-Star Weekend to San Francisco, where we may see a different format in the All-Star Game once again. It's been bandied about. And there's nothing like bandying that 
they will go to a U.S. versus the world format. I don't know how that's going to work out for the United States. Is it intentional to create a fervor, perhaps, to spur more quality development as opposed to highlight reels of basketball players in North America? But right now, the world would probably stomp the United States. I'm not talking about a then 40-year-old hashtag he who shan't be named or a 37-year-old Wardell Stephen Curry II defeating these guys in their physical primes. Luka Lamar, that's the two R's, Doncic, Shea Gilders-Alexander, Joel Hans Embiid, Giannis Sina, Ugo Laterrence Tentacumpo, and Nikola Jermaine Jokic, that's J-A-P-O-S-T-R-E-M-A-Y-N-E. Come on, man. That doesn't even make sense. You already know, the last five MVPs have all been foreign-born players. Two in a row for Giannis, two in a row for Nicola Germain, Joel. And if Luka wins it this year, what are we saying? What does it say about the quality of basketball? Everybody will take their time to reminisce about the world in a different place 30-some-odd years ago. Oh, the dream team will never be matched. Yeah, because basketball is caught up. Because basketball is spread. Thank you, Dream Team. Thank you, David Stern. Blessed day. For opening up the game to the world because it's the beautiful game, the most beautiful game. So, we'll see. Could be some format issues because at the end of the day, are you taking the best 24 players to play in the All-Star game or just picking guys because of their location? Now, those guys who I just named, of course, that's going to pan out for them. But are we taking the best big man from the United States? Is it DeAndre Ayton, who's not even from the United States? The Bahamas, do they count as a territory? It's probably British. But who's going to be the best big man from the United States? Anthony Davis? I'm sorry. I went crickety. And speaking of crickety, maybe that's what a lot of people call Wheezy F, baby. Lil Wayne was on Undisputed recently talking to his buddy Skip Bayless. And he said the Lakers needed to get rid of Anthony Davis. He hasn't been great since he was in New Orleans or in the bubble. Since then, nothing. Will you take your advice from Wheezy? I don't know. But Anthony Davis looked great in a game where they did not have the hashtag he who should be named involved. He was out against the Portland Trailblazers with a calf injury. But you saw more continuity from the guys they needed to make contributions in particular, the returning Rui Hachimura. Austin Reeves coming off the bench, who looks way more effective than he did starting. And Anthony Davis, who had to lead the team. Cam Reddish, making his point to be a starter for the Lakers. Young legs, athletic, can make the corner three, can play a little defense. Could be something. So maybe it's just taking some time for Darvin Ham and his brain trust to figure out the best lineup for them. They're still going to have issues off the bench. Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes. Mm, I don't know. But it is what it is. Shouts out to Lil Wayne. And when we're talking about street clothes, Anthony Davis, who's occasionally hurt, or even the hashtag being out, the injuries around the league are piling up exponentially as the Time Lord is seemingly out of time this season. Right knee surgery out for the rest of the year. I guess the Celtics knew to let go of an asset when he was totally expired. It's going to be tough for this guy to come back and be the same guy he was as a defensive stalwart for the Celtics and now playing for the Trailblazers who are actually playing pretty good defense. One of the top 10 defensive teams in the league right now is Chauncey Billups. So shout out to the Blazers, but they're going to miss Robert Williams in the middle there. Walker Kessler from the Utah Jazz. I thought they'd do a whole lot better this season. They did not start out well. It's a total flip from last season 
as he's out for the next two weeks with an elbow sprain. Mason Plumley from the Los Angeles Clippers. Maybe he's happy not to be around for all of this tomfoolery with the system. And now out with no timetable for return. I guess I should have mentioned Scoot Henderson. I called his injury a mystery last week. That's so foul for me to say. So I'm going to take that back and take the L on that one. He's out for the next two weeks, two, three weeks, as a matter of fact, with a right ankle injury. But I think it's more of a mental and emotional rehab for him as well. And hopefully he comes back, plays solid, and is able to help this Trailblazer team. The reigning defending NBA champions are going to be without Jamal Murray, part of the best one-two punch in the league, at least before Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid started tearing up things right now. But until further notice, it is the Joker and Jamal. Out three weeks with a hamstring injury, so get well soon. As we move on to the rookie watch, rookie of the year, Mark Williams. University of North Carolina had a 21-21 and 21 game. I think they found their center of the future. Is it enough to keep a Melo LaFrance Bowl in Mecklenburg County? I don't know. But he's playing great. Chet Holmgren, of course, doing his thing. He's steady. He's very steady. Not a bunch of up and down games, but the Sacramento Kings took it to his chest a couple of times, including a nasty dunk. He got dunked on twice in that game. Nasty. One of them was from Keegan Murray, for sure. And I forgot who the other one. It wasn't Malik Monk. Somebody else got it. Was it Harrison Barnes? No, 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 no. It was actually Demonis Sabonis with the left-hand punch. But, you know, if you go out and challenge him, most of the times if you're one of those guys who's not afraid to get dunked on, you're going to get dunked on a couple of times. Chet Holmgren in there showing he's about that life. And, of course, Wimby, who I first saw, it, I thought he was 14. Apparently he was 16 years old. He's played one-on-one against... Should I still call him Booty Gobert? For the sake of this conversation today, I'm going to call him Rudy Gobert. He's working out with him, and he was cooking him at 14, 16 year old, years old, whatever he was at the time, flambeing him. They met up for the first time in the NBA, and 29-9 and four blocks. Wimby doing his thing. So salute to the rookies. Some milestones were marshaled made by another center. Bam Adebayo, who recorded the first 2020 triple-double in Heat history, but that was a race. Somebody took away one of his assists. Isn't that fancy? But one person who will not have his triple-doubles erased is now firmly ensconced at number four in the triple-double list in history. Nicola Jermaine got his the other day. Salute to him. And it was a monster. 30-something points, 20-something rebounds, 11 assists. But they lost. Really good game. The Houston Rockets, we'll talk about in our Power 10 during the podcast, because yes, they're welcome to the party this week. A lot of movement in that Power 10. We'll get there soon. And I want to give the hashtag a little love, as he is the first person in NBA history to record 5,000 turnovers. He's the one of one, for sure. And you stay in the game long enough, you play at that level, you're going to be number one in a bunch of categories, good and bad. Let's believe it. But I didn't like the fact that he gave a dig to Jim Harbaugh in the University of Michigan, but I forgot. He's an endorser of the Ohio State University. So he's trying to talk about, yeah, you know, when we played Phoenix, the reason we beat them is because we knew Coach Frank. We could steal the signals, unlike that team from up north. Okay, dog. I see you living. All good. Game of the week this week, without question. There were a bunch of great matchups. But clearly the one that stood out was an early season matchup between the Boston Celtics and a team that time and time again, they've stopped from taking that next step in the playoffs. They go as far as the conference semis before they meet up with the Boston Celtics. 
The Philadelphia 76ers, as I said earlier, they're on an eight-game losing strike, and they showed improvement in this game, and you saw really the power of not only Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid playing together, but those moving parts I talked about coming over from the Clippers, adding on and making a big difference. As a matter of fact, some of the top players from Boston to go 13 for 39 from the field, and I'm talking about Drew Randall Holiday, Derek White, and Jalen Brown, they needed that. So... Be on the watch out for the next game of the week. That was one I really enjoyed. And as we move into our power 10 for this week, at number one, the team that won that game against Boston, the Philadelphia 76ers. At number two, the Denver Nuggets. Cannot discount the 8-2 Nuggets right now. Even without Jamal Murray, Nicola Jermaine doing his thing, keeping them afloat. They have to find something from that young unit or it's going to be a problem coming off the bench. We talked about this in the preseason with Ryan Antonio Henry. And we're still talking about it now. But again, it is early. Shouts out to Mike Malone, who got an extension to coach this team, becoming one of the highest paid coaches in the association. Salute to Mike. And salute to the Dallas Mavericks. Yes, the Mavericks who opted out last year so they didn't have to give up their draft pick, made sure they didn't make the playoffs. At number three right now, Luca Lamar and Kyrie Andrew Irving playing a high clip. Tim Hardaway Jr., Jaden Hardy, and Josh Green coming on that bench. They have a solid bench unit, too. I like what they're doing. And, of course, Derek Lively, if he can stay outside of foul trouble, he's a rookie. He's going to get in foul trouble. But as long as he's on the court, he gives them a rim deterrent from the defensive end, somebody who's going to rebound for them and make outlet passes. It's looking good down there in Dallas. Shout out to Jason Frederick Kidd, the head coach at number three, the Dallas Mavericks. At number four, the Boston Celtics. At number five, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the best defensive team in the league. Starting with Booty Gobert. I got to go back to Booty. But Anthony Edwards, the pecking order has now been established. We know this now. Anthony Edwards decided, I guess someone decided, hey, we can do all this nice guy, you know, making sure Carl Anthony Towns knows he's that guy. Carl Anthony Towns is necessary. He had an opportunity to be the guy. He has not been the guy. It's time for Anthony Edwards to take that spot. Carl Anthony Towns behind him. And then you have Booty Gobert showing up the defensive side. I like what they're doing, Chris Finch and the Minnesota Timberwolves. At number six, the Houston Rockets on a six-game losing strike themselves after going 0-3 to start the season. And no one knowing really what was going to happen, but there are some adults in the room now down there. So all the Jalen Greens and Jabari Smith Juniors and young guys they had down there, when you bring in Uncle Jeff Green, when you bring in Fred Van Vliet, who as a rookie was a guy that the veterans for the Toronto Raptors listened to. He's going to bring that down there. And of course... The maturation of my guy, Nicola Jermaine Light, Alfred Sengun, who came in as the EuroLeague MVP at 19. Ime Udoka has been playing defense, one of the top defensive teams in the league. I think they're number three or four. So those guys are playing defense too? Congratulations to the Houston Rockets at number six this week. At number seven, the Miami Heat, steady, quiet, under the radar. They're still in the mix. I talk about Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, the Heat culture, always there. At number eight, the Oklahoma City Thunder, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I think they're still trying to figure out some things with Josh Giddy, Shea, and of course what they're doing with Chet. But right now it looks good. And at number nine, the team I told you was going to make the playoffs. They had two of the best wings in the league. The young guys at the wing, Franz Wagner, and of course, Rookie of the Year, Paolo Bancaro. At number nine, the Orlando Magic competing. And at number 10, on a three-game losing strike themselves, the New York Knickerbockers, R.J. Barrett, R.J. Barrett, R.J. Barrett. I know we talk a lot about the only team in the league that has three left-handed starters led by Jalen Brunson. But right now, 
the play of R.J. Barrett is making a difference because now Julius Randle has come out of that shooting slump and they're learning how to play together and pick their moments. Pegging order means something. Before we get out of here, I want to address the notion that somehow if the hashtag he who shan't be named did not go to Miami, he would have the same career. And he felt that way. There are people that spend a lot of time trying to find anything to flip. And because Shannon Sharp didn't agree with the hashtag's assessment of his career, oh, finally, somebody who's caping for him forever turned on him. No, he just disagreed. You do that with your friends. When you have a passion for a thing, you have a purpose. You want to stand on something, as Kendrick Perkins would say, stand on business. Shannon Sharp stood on his business. He didn't agree with him. A lot of people won't. And we'll never know. This is his opinion as the leading scorer in NBA history and arguably the GOAT of this game. For him to make his assessment of himself, I don't know, it's, it's that far-fetched. Shouldn't he know? But he did need the Miami Heat. He did need to go down there and basically go to college. That's where he learned how to win. Even though he had taken a team that should have never made the NBA Finals in 2007 to the Finals, they got swept. He didn't know how to win yet. And I think people misunderstand when people say, you don't know how to win. Either you win or you lose. No, no, there's a way to do it. There's a way to sustain it. Not to win it once, not by luck, but sustaining the culture and the identity of being a winner in the NBA means something. That's where he learned it, in Miami. And I totally agree with Shannon Sharp. See, here's the thing about love. Whether you love that thing, you love the journey, you love the struggle, you have to trust that struggle. The thing about love, the most elusive commodity of all, is that you don't choose love, the hashtag you shan't be named. Love chooses you. Maybe I'm telling myself that as well. So until next week, do remember, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble. And keep listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, my mellow, my man. Do what you do when you do it, sir. E.